Welcome aboard the Little Red Bandwagon, your twice-weekly podcast celebrating the radio show Turned Podcast Too Beautiful to Live. In Pawtucket, Rhode Island, I'm Bobby Pape, and joining me from Dallas, Texas, it's Meredith Mahan. Good morning, Meredith. Good morning, Bobby. On Mondays, we bring you a recap of the latest week of TBTL, but this, this is a Friday edition of Little Red Bandwagon, when we talk to a 10, find out how they got involved with the show, look back to one of their favorite clips in TBTL history, and this morning, I am pleased to welcome, from New Paltz, New York, the pride of Ulster County, the gateway to Poughkeepsie, Michelle Sutton. Good morning, Michelle. <laughs> Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, Meredith. Good morning. We're going to talk about a couple of things you must discuss. Then we're going to get to know Michelle, get to her TBTL history clip, talk about how you can get involved and do a little housekeeping. But first, I have just one thing on the must-discuss list, and that is the best of Western Washington. It is not too late to vote for us. Christy really, really wants us to get to the top five. I like that our goal is not for us to win. She just wants us to get high enough so that she can go to the party. <laughs> and I think we should all help with that. So if you have not voted five or six times yet, please go to the Best of Western Washington website and vote Little Red Bandwagon for Best Podcast. When you're done with that, vote for Phyllis Fletcher for News Personality. Um, we will put the links to that in the show notes, and I really, really mean it. I really, really will. <laughs> and we'll also put them all over social media. So please take a minute. Uh, go to the Facebook page, check the show notes here, and go vote. Best of Western Washington. It is your civic duty and obligation as a listener of this show yep. to vote for us. <laughs> uh, and with that, uh, Michelle, I'm so glad we finally got you on the show and you picked a hell of a clip, which we're going to get to in a minute. But before we do, uh, we have some upstate New York ties in common. So can you tell everyone where you are and how you got there? Oh, sure. Um, I grew up in Virginia, but I really am meant to be a New Yorker. <laughs> uh, once I moved up here for grad school 20 years ago, I was like, ah, oh, this is my people. This is my state. Um, but I lived for almost ten, nine or 10 years in or outside of Rochester. And I actually was just there last weekend. I go, I still go back every couple of months and see my pals and I still write for a magazine that's based out of Rochester. So um, I just have this, I just love that city so, so much. And it's like, um, it's, a, it's a birthplace of all these social justice movements, like women's rights and abolitionism and everything. And when you go there, you just kind of feel it. It's like palpable, you know, it's like this progressive feeling when you're there. Um, and then Bobby, I used to go to um, the Webster Arboretum a lot, and I wrote a story about it. And I wonder if you can picture, if you know it. Oh, I know it. We took some of our wedding pictures there. Oh, I uh, wondered. I wondered about that when I saw those pictures. Yeah. Uh, not officially, but um, so, you know, I got married in Webster at, at my home church, and then we took some pictures at Webster Park, and then we went to the Arboretum. We didn't ask anyone or we just, because it was just us. We didn't have a bridal party. There wasn't a big, uh, you know, limo full of people. So the three of us, my bride and myself and my photographer, we all just sort of walked in and did it for about half an hour uh, and then took off. And I, I remember going to the Arboretum as a kid, but I hadn't been back in a long time. It is much more developed than when I was a kid. And it's really quite beautiful. It's impressive that that exists uh, in just a little town outside of Rochester. 
Yeah, it's going to be like a world-class arboretum, you know, before too long. And, and it's mostly been done by volunteers. It's really, I love the scrappy public gardens like that, the ones that don't have big budgets. Those are the ones that inspire me the most, you know. Um, and my friends, Jean and Darlene, got married there in August. And you can you can get married there affordably. And then it's like such a beautiful setting. And we should mention that this is right up your alley because you studied horticulture, right? Yes, I'm a horticulturalist. And... Um, I used to have, when I was in Rochester, I had a sort of landscaping coaching business, and I would do some writing and editing freelance in uh, horticulture and urban forestry. And then when I moved down here to the Hudson Valley, after I got married to my husband, I segued over to all freelance work, and um, now I just mostly garden for myself. Uh, so that is actually a great transition to my next question, which is how did you end up in beautiful college town, New Paltz, New York. Well, I was, of course, in Rochester, and Dale was down here, and we met at a tree conference in Ithaca. I was, I had gone to graduate school there, and I went back to this tree conference just mostly to see old friends and stuff, and there was this really um, attractive older man who kept uh, coincidentally, quote-unquote, finding his way into my path, you know, during the <laughs> conference. And <laughs> later he revealed to me how much like subtle stalking was actually taking place. <laughs> and I remember thinking I was with someone else at the time, as was he. Uh, I was in a, a long-term 13-year relationship with a, a woman named, well, a, a woman. And, um, but I was, and he was in a relationship too, but we were both kind of unhappy. And Oh, I'm going into way much, way too much detail. <laughs> you want to know how I ended up in New Paltz? At any rate, so we hit it off. It precipitated our breaking up of relationships that needed to end anyway. It was horrendously painful. And we were a support system to each other, like as friends for a year. And then decided to see, you know, um, whether there might actually be something there. And so I commuted back and forth on the Amtrak uh, my husband likes to make terrible puns, and he would say, um, I'm attracted to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and what I noticed when I came from Rochester to New Paltz is that in the wintertime, that when I got to Albany, like the sun would come out faithfully every time I got to Albany. And I was like, oh, my God, this sunshine in the wintertime. It's such a, you know, oh, this feels so amazing. And. Um, we don't have that in the lake effect of Rochester, you know? Yeah. So I did a trial winter living with Dale here at his place. And I just like the sun really won me over. Um, and the other reason I moved down here, because, you know, I loved Rochester. I had an awesome group of friends. I had my business. Um, I really at first tried to get him to move up to me. But he won. The sunshine was in his favor. But also he has this sun porch and he said you know how you've always wanted to get a, a house rabbit don't you think this would be like the perfect place for bunnies and you know <laughs> you can you can go ahead and get them and I'll just take care of them when you're in Rochester and you know so I got this little lop-eared bunny named Butter Buns from Lollipop Farm outside Rochester oh, and I just a hop skip and a jump <laughs> Past. Oh, no. Oh, no, that's the car dealership that's just a hop, skip, and a jump past Lollipop Farm. Sorry, that'll make sense to three listeners who've lived in Rochester. I thought you were making a bunny joke. No, it's, the, it's a slogan for an old car dealership that's right down the road from Lollipop Farm, and that's the way they advertise it. Sorry. I, sorry for interrupting. I just... Oh, no, that's okay. Um, and so, 
then when I would go back to Rochester, not just my sweetie, but my whole family was back here, you know, so it was like, well, I'm going to have to move down there. So he was very canny. Um, <laughs> but I love New Paltz. It reminds me a lot of Ithaca, which is another, my favorite places that I've ever lived are New Paltz, Ithaca, and Rochester. Um, so I'm very happy here. Well, it, it is very Ithaca-esque. I've been to both. Um, I actually, not only was SUNY New Paltz my second choice school, I ended up going to Buffalo, as many people know, um, but New Paltz insisted that I must have registered for, or, or should have registered for classes because the first couple of weeks into college, I'm at Buffalo and I start getting all these phone calls and letters from SUNY New Paltz being like, hey, where are you? We built a schedule for you. <laughs> Whoops. I was like, no, I never accepted. <laughs> uh, but it is a beautiful campus and a beautiful uh, village, really. Um, and uh, it really would have been a great place to live. It did give me that same sort of Ithaca vibe with the hills and the foliage. And I will say that talking about the sunshine in Albany is the first time anyone's ever said anything nice about Albany. But I'm going to let it slide. <laughs> Albany, the gateway to winter sunshine. Yeah. Um, so I didn't end up going to New Paltz, but um, New Paltz has been newsworthy for the last decade and change. And I wondered, I don't know what your timeline is, but I wonder if you've ever had the opportunity to vote for student turned mayor Jason West, the, the mayor in New Paltz who, what, a little over a decade ago caused a ruckus by... Um, Marrying, uh, marrying doing, gay people. Doing gay marriages, yeah. which now, of course, isn't such a ruckus. Well, I have to confess that um, we're kind of like right on the line between Highland and New Paltz. And my voting district is Highland. So okay. unfortunately, I don't get to vote in New Paltz. <laughs> you didn't get to vote for a progressive student mayor. No. <laughs> okay. uh, for people who are unaware, Jason Bust was first elected in New Paltz in 2003. And um, basically the student body of new the, the elections there have like less than 2000 people who vote in them and a bunch of students from new Paltz registered to vote and just swung the entire student, uh, the, the entire mayor and city council race and elected uh, a recent graduate and a couple of other graduates to basically take over the village <laughs> uh, much to the benefit. I mean, they liked him so much. They voted him back in, in a non-consecutive term. Mm. Uh, he's out now, but yeah, they were doing gay marriages before it was cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was really touching we go to pride every year here and it was really touching the first pride after gay marriage was um legalized and evan wolfson you know the attorney who was really involved in that effort he was in the lead car of the parade and i think he was also might have been here when jason west was marrying people back in 2000 or whenever that was so it was a very emotional day you know it was awesome well uh you caught my interest immediately with upstate New York talk in your in your blurb that you sent us. Uh, but I, I could talk about that all day and it would be interesting to almost no one else. So I think I'm going to let Meredith run you through your TBTL paces. Okay. Can I take talk about my bunnies for just a minute? Oh, yes. Please okay. do because uh, sadly Mike's not on the show today, but he will hear this. And so uh, uh, as a starting point for him, please do. Okay, yeah, that was my connection with Mike and Emily. Um, like Emily, I always wanted to have house rabbits. Um, and so I have a bonded pair. And I sent you a picture of when they were first introduced to each other in the bathtub. And um, 
in the course of an hour, they went from eyeing each other suspiciously to turning towards each other suspiciously to getting closer and closer to snuggling. And then she started grooming him. She's the older one. And when they start grooming each other, that that's how you know the bond has taken. And so it was terribly exciting. And on my Facebook page, I have like the whole thing documented. <laughs> and then they've been really close buds ever since. That was four and a half years Aww. ago. And they, they're just so funny. And I, I just wanted to lay a couple of quick fun facts about house bunnies on you. Did you know they have 28 teeth? 28 teeth in there. Wow. I sort I, of. They're sort of shoehorned in there. They're, you know, you think, I always naively thought they had like four big chompers or something, but they have all these little guys in the back that are their conveyor belt for chewing. And um, house rabbits can live 10 years on average if they're well cared for, and they can be trained to a litter box. So I'm a big fan of having your bunnies indoors. And, and when they have a lot of room to run around, their personalities really come out and they're hilarious. <laughs> Uh, I know Mike, Mike and Emily's bun is uh, indoor and we've got another listener, a good friend of mine up here, uh, Jen, who has several bunnies that basically own her house. (laughs) And so I know they can all be sort of divided into their own areas. They all get their own corner of the house, but once in a while it's kind of a free for all and it's really fun seeing them all running around everywhere. Yeah. They Um, call that hoppy hour in the, in the house bunny world. Anyway, thanks for indulging me, guys. I just wanted to share the love about house bunnies. Hey, we don't get a lot of house bunny fun facts on this show. So that's <laughs> fine by me. Mike's really dragging uh, in that regard. He should be bringing that. He's not. So, uh, Meredith, why don't you take All us right. on? So our first question is, how did you find TBTL? Well, I, I started listening in May of 2008, is the best I can figure, and I saw it on the iTunes featured podcast scroll up top. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that picture of Luke um, sitting in a radio booth and his eyes are kind of looking up into the heavens. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I saw that picture and his name sounded familiar from NPR and it was the early days of podcasts. So, you know, anything that looked vaguely interesting, I would click on. And, oh my gosh, I loved it right away. I think this is kind of jumping ahead to the first episode question, but um, I think I started listening right around the time they had Defend Yourself Crocs edition. (laughs) And they had a woman on who talked about how she has a medical condition called hot foot. So she had had to wear Crocs to to treat her hot foot. (laughs) (laughs) Did you guys ever hear that? (laughs) I don't think I've heard that one. I don't think I have either. Oh, it was so funny. It was so delightful. And and so I immediately went back to January of 2008 and listened from the beginning. And I became a 10. And I would listen. I realized, I'm sorry, Meredith, I kind of burst budget. I'm hey, sort of that's all right. We're, we can knock all it. three of those knock out. <laughs> that's fine. Um, I, I would listen when I was had my landscaping business. And it was such a game changer because, you know, some of the stuff that I had to do was pretty repetitive, you know, mulching and pruning. And I was well compensated, but I'd get, my mind would get kind of restless. And so when TBTL came along, it was like, um, my, my clients would see me out in their gardens, just cracking up, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, uh, yeah. That's wonderful. So I, I think I talked about this in my interview episode, but I had a very similar experience as far as when I started listening to the show. Podcasts were relatively new, and I had just bought a house, and it had a really 
unruly kind of ugly garden in the front. And so my my very early TBTL memories are of me tearing out that entire garden, um, you know, uh, kind of amending the soil and finding new plants and planting everything and arranging everything. And so that took me an entire summer. So I had a lot of TBTL to get through. So I had a similar experience. <laughs> That's the best. Gardening and listening to TBL is the best combination. It is. Um, okay. So have you had any TBTL appearances, any voicemails or emails? The only interaction I had on air, so to speak, was back in the spring of 2008, Jen was doing Mad Libs on air. I don't know if you recall that, but this is early days. So, for instance, I sent her an email about, oh, I'm, I'm enjoying this show so much. It helps me so much with um, past, entertain me while I work. And she used the text of my email to insert words into a Mad Lib. And, oh, and then, that's great. And then read it during the show. And that was pretty exciting. I think comically, I don't think it really landed, but but it was <laughs> exciting for me that she called me out. And But that's the only, um, but I did go back through my uh, email yesterday and back in, I think, 2011, Luke did respond to an email of mine. So that was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> you might be the only one. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. All right. Do you have any favorite drops you want to talk about? Well, the one that makes me laugh the most every time is Sean DeTore saying, bring me a flaming mignon. <laughs> that, oh my God, I just never gets old. And then the other one that I get a big kick out of is um, John Cusack's character at a, in a job interview where he says, um, I don't want to uh, buy, sell, or process anything bought, sold, or processed. You know that one? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. actually, what is that from? Do you guys know? Oh god! Uh, uh, it's a it's a quote from Say Anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, from Say Anything. I'm gonna have to watch quote. that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and isn't he talking to her parents? I think so. God, it's been so long since I watched I know. that movie, and it's come up recently too because I I called on the boombox imagery recently for something, and <laughs> uh, that might be my homework for this weekend. I may have to go rewatch Say Anything. <laughs> You know, I don't think I've seen it. That's is that the I gotta I gotta check that out. It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time either, but it is great. <laughs> I just love his his uh, principles are so they're so ridiculous, and it kind of reminds me of <laughs> me when I was young. You know, like I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, I want to compromise myself in this way. Well, uh, yeah, like go I ahead. don't want to transition yet. I'll just say as a teaser that there's actually a little bit of Jen in that too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which we'll hear shortly. All right, back to the interview. Okay. Um, <laughs> finally, can you tell us why TBTL matters to you? This was so interesting to think about because I have the same reasons as everybody else, but then I had one that didn't even occur to me for years and years until I was thinking about doing this. So, of course, I love the camaraderie. I love the creativity. I love the shared sensibility. Um, I love being inside or getting a window into Luke and Andrew's friendship, which is so warm and I you know seeing or hearing men relate to each other with that kind of warmth is so inspiring mm-hmm. um, and of course the early days what more can be said were just magical things are still magical but just in a different way um, but the thing that came to me this summer as I started thinking about submitting to you guys was um, TBTL reminds me of this really magical summer I had when I was 19 years old I was in my first college, I ended up going to many colleges before I finally got my bachelor's degree in 
when I was 28 and my master's degree at 30. I took a very circuitous route, but I started out when, at a Quaker college in Indiana called Earlham. Oh, I know Earlham. Yeah, I only do. Yeah, (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I have two very good friends who went there, and they're extremely loyal to that school. Oh, it's it's a lovely place, and it was much more affordable than Oberlin, but it had the same kind of vibe, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was there for a year and a half before I needed to go find myself. But the summer in between my freshman and sophomore years, I got hired by the college radio station Weeside WECI. And I had no experience. It was very kind of them to hire me. But um, they there were only four of us covering all the DJ shifts. So, like, in a typical day, you might be a classical DJ in the morning, bluegrass in the late morning, jazz in the afternoon. <laughs> and then you might come back late that night and be on the new wave uh, uh, show. I mean, it was, you know, and, I, and then every Saturday night, I got to do Soul Patrol. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And on the late night shows... I, I felt that I had a lot of, I knew I had a lot of liberty because I knew how few people were listening. Um, and how I knew how few people were listening is that record companies would send us freebies like records. And like on Soul Patrol, I had a copy of Rob Bass and DJ, I forget his name, DJ Easy. It Takes Two. Remember It Takes Two when that came out in the late mm-hmm. 80s and it was a really big deal, early hip hop. And so I was like, seventh caller, go win, you know, this, it takes two. And like, I had one call, you know. (laughs) (laughs) There weren't seven people listening to call. There weren't even seven people who wanted this album, you know. So once I figured that out, like I started really playing around and I, and I did my own version of drops. I think you could say I found sound effects and spoken word bits and just mixed, you know, everything together, but with albums. Um, And my coworkers, I wasn't so much hanging out with them because we were all so busy covering all these shifts, but there were these high schoolers that came to Earlham that summer to do like a um, practice being a college student experience. And they would come down in the evenings and keep me company in the studio. And they were so much fun. We just, we just had such a great time. So, so it just, the show reminds me of that magical summer. Yeah. It sounds like TVTL is a perfect fit for you in that sense. Yes, in every way. <laughs> There's nothing I don't like about it. <laughs> uh, I was also a college radio DJ for one year, and uh, this was at the Buffalo radio station, which is an over-the-internet-only radio station, which then seemed really stupid, but now seems like the future. Uh, and I hosted <laughs> the jazz show because no one else would do it. Meredith, I don't know if you know yeah. this, but don't hate me. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, and the best part about that job is that it was the same time as the weekly staff meeting for the radio station. (laughs) And so not only did I get to miss the staff meeting, but I knew the program director and everyone else was definitely not listening to my show. (laughs) What a sweet deal. So I could do whatever I wanted. And then I think I've said before, the best part about hosting a jazz show is you can just do your homework or get dinner because you put out like a one hour track. I did a lot of that. <laughs> and then you just walk away. <laughs> yeah, totally. I did one time have the station manager call me and say, do you know it's been dead air for the last 10 minutes, Michelle? And I was like, whoops. Uh. <laughs> uh, it's just experimental. It's fine. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that. We're going to jump into your clip now. Uh, you've chosen a clip from December 10th, 
2010. It's the second half of an episode where Luke and Jen put on their best Barbara Walters pantsuits and uh, interview the most fascinating people they know, which is one another. <laughs> in what might be the most self-indulgent episode of TBTL ever recorded. <laughs> Aside from the one that Mike did when he right. interviewed them. <laughs> I have to make a little disclaimer. I realized, so I, I had you queue up to Jen's part, you know, because, and, and I had, I, th I thought, oh, I should explain why I didn't include Luke's part of the interview. Not that, because Luke is just as fascinating, but the things that Luke talks about, he's talked about um, since then, you know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. We've heard that stuff. So that's the only reason why I skip past fascinating Luke to fascinating Jen. Yeah, Luke is kind of an open book, whereas I think there's some stuff about Jen here that, while not all of it is news, it was really thoughtful and interesting the way she presented herself uh, and the way she answered these questions. Mm -hmm. Also interesting that the course and method of Luke's questioning, but we'll get to that after. <laughs> uh, so this is December 10, 2010. Uh, this is Luke interviewing Jen on the second half of an episode of the show. Uh, we'll take a listen and then we'll come back and talk about it. All right, Flash. Um, uh -huh. <clears throat> are you uh, are you feeling are you feeling ready? I mean, at the beginning of the show, you said you were fat. You were feeling fascinating all the way down to your toes. Has any of that ebbed? No. Okay. Good. Oh, I've got the echo again. By the way. Uh oh, I, I've got I've got that fixed. Uh, now should be all better. Is that all better? It is. It's all better. I am I am feeling even more fascinating now, actually, because I just did this amazing interview. Yes, you're a good, you're a very good interviewer, Jen. Uh, we need because I'm trying to think of the you did S. E. Hinton, mm -hmm. uh, who wrote uh, the um, <clears throat> the what are they called the outliers outliers outsiders. That'll be when Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> rewrites that book. It'll be called the outliers. And then you also interviewed the the girl from Metric. Yeah, those were both really good interviews. Um, you're well, very I think they're very. Um I was very prepared, yes, you know, and and work really hard to make the all the questions flow into the next questions. But I have a hard time then being in the moment and being funny and witty, which I think is a thing that you're able to do. Maybe because you're not so prepared. <laughs> That's a really generous way to summarize that flash, and I appreciate it. It's one of the things I love about you. All right, uh, let's uh, let's get fascinating. You know, we were just doing a. a little uh, ad there for the uh the the chateau saint michel uh wine and wine is something and alcohol is something we talk about a lot on this show um how much do you how much alcohol do you actually consume do you think on like a weekly basis <laughs> well that's a really personal question um is that I would overly say personal that, <laughs> i would say that i consume um probably uh, 15 glasses of wine okay. a week Probably. So what's an average night look like for you? Uh, generally, I have a, a glass of wine with um, an hors d'oeuvre, and then I have a couple of glasses with my dinner. And what is your what is your strategy long term for um, kind of uh, having a having a good, productive, fun life filled with all kinds of adventures and personal relationships and things like that, and also loving alcohol? Uh, I'm really not. I, I'm really not worried about it. I. Um, it's not something that I really give any thought to at all. I. Th I think that if I start to think about it and, and get worried about it, then that's when there's a problem. Because right now, it. 
it only enriches my life. I don't have any any area except for maybe four pounds on my belly where I feel like it's negative. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's no there's no morning where I regret what I did last night. I don't black out. I don't lose control. I don't drive drunk. You know what I mean? There's not anything that makes me feel like it's negative. It's only positive. It only adds to my enjoying my life and feeling relaxed and joyful and lovey. Yes. So I really I really honestly don't give any thought to that. Okay. Um, you love karaoke and you particularly love singing the song nine to five by dolly parton and that seems to be part of a, a, a more widespread adoration of dolly parton what do you love what is it you love so much about her um well uh, her songwriting i think is from the heart and authentic and you know she says in that song she's talking to the working women out there and she says they'll let you dream just to watch them shatter you're just a step on the boss man's ladder but you've got dreams they'll never take away and i could cry about it right now but um, what she has lived her whole life doing and writing songs about is telling people to keep trying, to never give up, to keep your faith, to send love out more than you take. And uh, she's just a woman that I admire really at the top for me. I really admire her, but most of it is wrapped up in the way that she's, that she's a songwriter and what she chooses to um, say to people through her songs. Um, why do you hate working out so much? Um, well, number one, I only wash my hair twice a week. <laughs> That's a little fascinating tidbit for you. Yeah. I only wash my hair twice a week and um, I hate to work out because I don't like to have to wash my hair more than that because doing my hair is a pain and I don't want to have to wash it. I don't want to have to do it. And so that's number one is it's a hair issue. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's a clothing issue. I don't want to have to buy all the cute little outfits, but I also don't want to look schlubby. And also you have to wash all those outfits a lot so they get ruined. So then you have to buy more. So that's the next thing. And then finally, I um, feel like I never see enough results to merit how much time it took. But you and Jason, after you guys got married, you guys both, you said you put on a little uh, marriage weight and then you mm -hmm. just decided you were both going to get skinny again. How did you guys actually accomplish that then? My, in your case, minus working out. Uh, well, I lost the first 10 pounds by straight calorie counting. I only got 1,000 calories a day, Whoa. which isn't – it's not super small, but it's not super a lot. I mean, I think the average woman is more like 1,800. That sounds um, like not very much to me, 1,000 calories. Well, what it did was it actually uh, – 750 calories is a pound. And so the way that the math worked out was that lost me a pound a week. And so in 10 weeks, I lost 10 pounds, which I did not put back on. But I still wanted to lose an additional 10 pounds. And the additional 10 pounds I lost by doing the um, phase two of the Atkins diet. And are you still... Not Atkins. I'm sorry. South, South Beach. Beach. And are yeah. you guys... I mean, do you still more or less hold to that? I mean, has that just become a permanent part of your life? Yes. And yeah. We don't cook with anything. There's nothing white in my house. I don't cook with flour, rice, salt, sugar, butter, or cream. None of those things are in my house right now. You will never find them in my house. I don't cook with them. That sounds like that's everything that's good in anything that's being prepared. What can you make that what can you make that doesn't involve those things that's that that works for you calorically that actually tastes good? Oh, well, it doesn't taste very good. <laughs> um, that's that's something that we decided to sacrifice and it's hilarious because every time we're like at someone's house for dinner, we don't worry when we're out to someone's house or if we're out at a restaurant because we want to enjoy ourselves and not be worrying about that kind of things because we figure if we just live that way at home just the two of us and we can relax when we're out and about yeah and it's hilarious because almost every time jason will be like this is so amazing he'll look over <laughs> me and say, this food is so good i'm like yeah it's got sugar and butter in it of course it's good 
Um, one of the uh, one of the many things that's so awesome about you, Flash, and fascinating to me is the connection that you have with the listeners. Um, people, when they really want to try to get a response from me, I, I notice that in an email they'll CC you, and they have whole. I mean, you just have these. You meet with them in Fort Wayne and other places, and and really, it's like I'm, I guess, kind of the main host of the show, but you're the main connection between the listeners and the show because you're really dutiful about emailing people back and like worrying about people. Is it overall something you're happy about or is there a point at which it's kind of too much? Like this is just too many people. And as the listenership grows, this is too many people for you to try to feel as strongly about as you do. Um, I'm, I'm very happy about it. Uh, it's not too many people. In fact, I feel really deep sadness when I can tell that somebody has dropped off and I have to remind myself that your life goes through different cycles and sometimes, you know, listening to TV show every single day and being involved and emailing lots of comments and stuff, sometimes you're in that cycle of your life, but then you are in love or you get a job or something happened, you know, a parent is sick or something. And it doesn't mean that somehow I always take it as this personal, like I, I somehow offended them. I, you know, they don't like me anymore. I'm not who they thought I was. Like, I always feel like I somehow let them down and I have to, it's a constant remind, I have to constantly remind myself because for me, really the joy of the show is feeling like. I mean, when somebody writes me an email and says that, you know, for an hour every day they get to laugh and they don't get to laugh any other part of their day, you know, that to me makes, that's what the whole show is about. So I love all that. The connection with the listeners is like my life's blood and it doesn't feel like it's, what's hard is when people are mad at me. That's the worst, worst part. And I take it really seriously. And I always, you know, I've, I've emailed someone before and said, please send me your phone number because I want to call you and personally apologize. I feel so bad. Like that's happened a few times. I mean, it really is so painful to me when I hurt somebody's feelings. I mean, are you happy? I, I, there's, I, I'm, I, I would imagine the answer to this is yes. But like we've talked on the show about maybe that you have a condition which is like hyper like hyper feeling things mm-hmm. like you feel things more deeply than like anyone I've ever met for good and, and for bad, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. like, do you wish you could tone down how deeply you feel things a little bit? Yes, I do all the time. I mean, it's so funny. I had, I had insomnia so bad last night and was in tears because of the fact that I was imprecise on the show yesterday. And I felt like I didn't express myself in a way that I wanted to express myself. And it's this thing where I had to like literally sit and write down like, you know, I'm not responsible to anyone but myself. That it, you know, I had to like remind myself that it's just not that big a deal, you know? And sometimes people jot off an email to me because they're like frustrated in the moment or whatever. They're not actually mad. I didn't devastate their life. Everything's fine. It's like a constant reminding myself it's not that big a deal. Everything's going to be okay. So if I could take out, you know, 50% of that really deep empathy and sympathy that I feel that would be my life would be so much better but I can't so so it is I, you said something so profound yesterday Jen that I totally uh, I actually was thinking about it last night and maybe even this morning which was everyone has the problems they have because I was joking about my alopecia you know weirdo bald spot that showed up at the back of my neck and then we were talking about it I guess in light of was it Aretha Franklin or maybe it was a reference Elizabeth to Elizabeth Edwards, Edwards and you said yeah. You know, oh, it's because we were talking about this and the news came in that Elizabeth Edwards had passed away. And you said, hey, the problem you have is the problem you have. And it doesn't have to be worse than someone else's, quote unquote, worse than someone else's for it to be something that's, you know, in in your life and something that you're thinking about. I was like, that's a really because I feel like I actually have it pretty easy. 
you know, I have a pretty good life and I'm really lucky. And so it makes me feel like I don't have a right to ever complain about anything because how dare I? But, you know, I, I thought, I think that you're often very profound on this show flash. And I, I really hope that you do not beat yourself up or really raise the standard any more than you have for being prepared on the show because it makes me look terrible. <laughs> and I can't I, I can't imagine if you were more prepared or more precise than you are currently because it would really, really demonstrate what a flake I am. Well, <laughs> I do think that um, I, I do think that you go through the stuff that you go through and it really does serve you later. And that's one of the things with with my relationship with the listeners is that one of the things that's really gratifying is that they feel free to write me when they're in pain. You know, they feel free to write and say it's a bad day or my mom just died or I'm in, I've fallen into depression and I don't even know why. And I feel stupid because life is good. And, you know, those kinds of things. But I feel like you're where you are and you feel what you feel and you can't help it. And, um, you know, like one thing that we haven't talked about a lot on the show, but I've talked a lot with the listeners is that I wasn't able to have kids. And, you know, fertility treatments failed and adoption attempts failed. And it really kind of left me broken for about six months. I couldn't work and I just felt so broken. But the fact is that now I'm on TBTL and I get these letters from people and I'm able to write right back and say, I am so sorry. That sucks. Because that's what you want to hear from somebody is that what the pain that you're in is is your pain. And there's no there's not a fix all. There's not I can't send them something that makes them feel better. But all I can say I know exactly how you feel, and it sucks, and I'm so sorry. And sometimes that's what you need to hear. Yeah, that, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a really great way to look at things too, in the sense that everything that's happening to you is equipping you, hopefully, to help somebody else at some point in your life. You know? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. And then when they write me and tell me that they're mad at me, um, I, I have to. It's like I just have to realize that. It's not that big a deal. That's that's like my little mantra. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> you know, I do this really hippie thing, which is I I think I mentioned this a couple months ago, but I, I used to have this kind of like um, – I know this isn't actually supposed to be about me, but I'll just be very brief. <laughs> I used to have these um, like – I couldn't stop replaying things in my mind, like conversation – when I had embarrassed myself. Okay. Yes, I, I have that too. I, and I can't stop. I couldn't stop replaying it, and I couldn't stop feeling that sense of just like really embarrassment about it. And it would become like this, like um, a persistent thought that I didn't even have control over. And I decided that what I was going to start doing is I was going to try to like take a deep breath and then and tell myself I'm taking a breath, a, a big deep breath in, and then when I exhale, I'm exhaling all of my shame about this and all of the thing about me being embarrassed. And once I exhale this, I'm never thinking about it again. And I don't know why, but it totally works. I've totally become, I've been totally been able to break my cycle of overly obsessing about things by doing that. I don't know. If I am absolutely going to try that because I do that exact same thing. I will just spiral in it, and I can't yeah. stop it. And pretty soon, I'll realize that like thirty minutes have passed that yeah. I've just been thinking about it. You have to do. I think it's something about the physical and the psychological. Like, you know, I'll take a big, and then sometimes what I'll do is I'll take take a deep breath in, and I'll go like. Okay, that's me like exhaling that and I'm also just I'm just sending it away, right? And then I'll find myself thinking about it a little bit later. I'll go, nope, right as soon as I have the thought again, it's like <gasps> and it totally works. At least it works for me. All right. Okay. That's awesome. So just another That's thing. gonna that's that maybe is gonna change my whole life. Um okay. Uh do you feel like TBTL has been more successful or less successful than you sort of hoped it would be when we started? And 
that's not a loaded question. I mean, the answer doesn't have to be more successful because, like, we were a radio show, and one thing that could have happened was we became the most popular radio show of all time. We have our own TV show. We, you know what I mean? Like, there's a way it could have exploded in a more conventional way, and that might have been a better thing, and that might have been more what your secret hope was. How has TBTL performed based on what your sort of hopes and dreams were for it? I honestly and truly believe that it would be canceled within the first six months <laughs> completely. I, I, I am stunned that it's still going. I can't believe it. Having nothing to do with our, you know, excitement over it or the work we put in, it's just, it's, you know, a little weird. Um, so, wait, I don't know if you totally answered the question, though. Oh, that I'm, I, it's, it's far, far more successful really? than I thought it would be. Yes. Even though I'm at my house and and you're in Fort Wayne and <laughs> we're talking over Skype, you still feel like this this uh, this qualifies as, as more successful. Our expectations yes. were very low, apparently. Yes, <laughs> very very low. Um, do you um, do you feel like you've turned out to be the kind of person that you sort of thought you were going to turn out to be? Um. I think I probably yes. I mean, I think that I thought I would be more ambitious. I think I'm the most surprised by my lack of ambition. Um, I, you know, I basically want to, you know, I want to take jobs that I believe in and I want to do a really good job at that. Like I'm very devoted to doing a really good job, but I don't have a lot of idea about climbing the ladder or Mm -hmm. Anything like that. I'm, I'm kind of surprised by that because definitely when I was younger, you know, when we were in school and everything, I think I thought I would be more like a bigger deal, I guess. And then and then as I got older, I just kind of more and more got more interested in a quieter life. I don't know. And, and, and more, I'm much more interested in being happy and doing the stuff I want to do and not feeling pressure. I wonder if it's mostly just that you have now figured out what actually makes you happy. Like when you're a kid, I think you assume that the only thing that can make you happy is if you're the most famous actor or actress of all time or the most famous football player. And then you get older and you realize what actually makes you happy. And it's almost never the trying to achieve those things. I'm sure that's what it is, because I think what I thought I was going to be is a movie director. And um, I'm so much happier having a quiet life. And this little bit of, of um, notoriety with TVTL is like the perfect amount. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, I think that's a really good point. I think that... Um, we're we're totally not famous at all, but just to the degree that we bump into people occasionally who've heard of what we do, that's exactly the right amount of people knowing who you are. I think. Yeah, and 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 most importantly, that we get to do creative work like that. I figured out that that makes me happy to get to do creative things. Yeah. All right, let's do the uh, the light. The lightning round. Oh my God. These are some questions that I carefully put together uh, after Jen emailed them to me during the music <laughs> break. Um, so Jen, let me let me let me uh, let me put these questions back to you. And by the way, this has been fascinating. I hope I didn't get. Did I get overly personal? No, 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 no. I the, the drinking question for a minute threw me off because I thought, oh, am I going to get emails from people telling me I need to get, join a program? But then I remembered, I don't care. See, you're already mm-hmm. you're already <laughs> starting to practice the breathing exercises and such. Maybe I shouldn't have let off with that. More, just even more evidence that I'm a shitty interviewer. <laughs> I guess I'm just like I am I'm personally always trying to figure out where I stand with such things, and so I, I was interested to hear what you had to say. But maybe that was a little 
It was a little early in the interview to hit you with that. So <laughs> Right. I, you really should have built up to that, I you know, because you want to ask the like, are you gay? Are you a drunk? Like you want to fit that stuff in at the very end. By the way, are you gay? <laughs> Not at this time. Okay. All right. Let's do this. Uh, let's do this lightning. Uh, this lightning. Oh my God! All right, Flash. When are you happiest? I am happiest on Sunday morning. We get home from church and we make mimosas and we make poached eggs and we watch um, CBS Sunday Morning with Charles Osgood. And uh, it is my happiest moment. I have the New York Times on my lap. I'm watching him. I've got my champagne and I've got my poached eggs and it's my happiest moment every Sunday morning. Um, what is uh, your favorite uh, curse? Uh, well, you know, it wouldn't, I'd probably not surprise you to know that I've given a lot of thought to my thinking about curse words. Yeah. And what I've come to is that I believe that they're much like poetic language. Um, you wouldn't want to talk like that all the time, but sometimes it's just right. Yeah. And for me, when I can say motherfucker, like, <laughs> and I haven't said it in like a couple of weeks and it's like the perfect moment, like I've stubbed my toe or somebody cut me off or whatever. And just, just to let loose with a motherfucker is like... <laughs> super cathartic it makes me feel really good and i think it actually kind of adds to the discourse in that moment because it's not overused i think that might be one of like under 10 times i've heard you say the f word <laughs> definitely on the show it's rare and then even yeah. off the air even when we're having our our meetings by which i mean drinking at azteca <laughs> you don't you don't trot that out much so that's you 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 use it sparingly and so then it has more more impact Right, right. Like when that guy threw that hamburger at me in Taos, <laughs> I, I yelled it then and it felt good. Yeah, that you needed it then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what uh, what occupation uh, would you uh, would you like to attempt outside of, uh, uh, you know, I guess radio? Uh, I'd actually like to be a high school English teacher, but it would need to be in a school where the students are plucky and they all want to rise above <laughs> their station and they're really interested in learning from me. But I think I'd like to be a, an English teacher. So if they're... If they either had dangerous minds or were ready for someone who would stand and then subsequently deliver. Right. Or if they had just come from Mr. Holland's opus class. If they could lean on you. Right. They were in a dead poet society. Right. Those are the kids I want. You'd be a great, you would be, you would be really good at that. Would you ever think about actually like doing, I mean, is that something you might do 10 years from now? I think about it all the time. I've actually even looked into, you know, getting my teaching degree and all that kind of thing. So it's definitely, it's something I'd really like to do. Um, that's a, I, I really think that would be a, like a perfect fit for you because how energetic you are, or I should say how excited you get about the ideas behind books and what mm -hmm. you, you're, one of your most amazing skills related to this show is the way that you can draw a larger meaning out of things that are like, you know, pop culture based or, you know, literature based. So I think, I think you would be really good at that. Um, Thank you. What is your favorite quality in a man? Kindness. Uh, what is your favorite quality in a woman? Um, the opposite of, uh, what is the word? I'm thinking of uh, uh, cooperation, not uh, the opposite of jealousy, like um, working together. Yes. Like let's, let's work together toward the goal and not, and not be jealous of each other or fight against each other. Like sort of non-competitiveness. Yes. Being, uh, being uncompetitive yes. or something. Let's be on the same side and support one another. Supportiveness. That's what I should say. I think both of us would be amazing English teachers. In, uh, we just came up with together, all those together we couldn't <laughs> think of that word 
Um, what's your biggest source of pride uh, related to TBTL? Um, it would be the uh, TBTL's give backers. Oh, right. Uh, the night that we volunteered at Treehouse, which is one of my favorite charities. And I would also say the Mariners game. Um, a, th- a thousand people showing up was pretty mind-blowing. And I think I sat on every one of their laps. <laughs> I've seen the photos. <laughs> well, there was one guy that was like, I'm really, really nervous to meet you. And so to put him at ease, I sat in his lap. I don't know why I thought that would yeah. help. <laughs> and then um, his friend like took a picture. And it was like, as soon as other people saw that happen, then everybody wanted a picture with me in their lap. So I literally just went down every row sitting in people's laps. But it was, it was amazing to have a thousand people show up. You were like um, some 19, uh, you know, uh, 40s bombshell on a USO tour. Yes. You know, you were like Jane Mansfield <laughs> with the GIs, and you had to sit on everyone's lap. I know. I just wanted to make the boys feel better. Would you say that without a doubt, and this is my final question to you, uh, Jen, would you say that without a doubt this has been the most self-obsessed show we've ever done on TBTL? <laughs> Without a doubt. Well, no. Actually, maybe it was our first anniversary when we had Drew McFrizz interview us for an hour. Oh, yeah. This is um, tie. This probably, a, probably a tie, right? <laughs> well, this has been fascinating, Jen. I'd, Thank you. I, um, I don't know if anyone's still listening. <laughs> but I've been interested in it. You know what? Seriously, though, like... I didn't know what your answer would be to a lot of those questions. In fact, probably most of them. And it was genuinely interesting for me to hear what your take is on some of these things. And so I would say even if no one uh, makes it to the end of this show, which would be understandable, I have enjoyed it and I have found it fascinating. Yes, we have been having a great time, a great conversation. Absolutely. I mean, certainly better than the Steve Martin, Deborah Solomon conversation. Yes, and better than better than anything that um, the situation... Or Jay Wow, uh, even Jay Low, or right, exactly. Um, so uh, uh, before we uh, before we get out of here, I just want to give you uh, one one last reminder that all this uh, fascinating, self obsessed uh, content comes to your way uh, largely due to the uh, generosity, and maybe I'll just say it: the business acumen of a, uh, a certain organization known as Bing, the Decision Engine. It's the official search engine of TBTL. Uh, you can uh, find all kinds of interesting things on there, uh, particularly related to travel. They have a fare predictor, which is just uh, really rad because it tells you uh, if the price is going to go up or down. And it's very accurate. I am using it all the time now, and it is actually saving me money. Uh, they have the same thing for hotel rooms, which is really useful. Um, they've got uh, great uh, ticket buying opportunities. If you're going to go to a sporting event and you type in the sporting event they'll actually show you the stadium where it's going to happen and then they have this amazing map overlay that tells you what all the tickets are going for in different sections but not just from the team or whatever but from StubHub. if someone's selling them on craigslist if there's some other way the tickets are being sold more cheaply let's like say it's a concert they'll have that too and if you're wondering oh is that a good seat or not you click on the seat it shows you a view from that seat of what the field looks like or what the stage looks like it's totally amazing there's so much useful stuff on Bing, and what I think is great about it is that it's organized in a very, very um, simple and kind of intuitive way. Um, unlike, you know, sometimes what happens with Google and other search engines where you just get a buttload of information, but you can't – it's not useful. You can't process it all. Bing just lays it right out for you, and that's why it's the decision engine. 
and uh, we really appreciate their uh, their support of TBTL. Um, you know, Flash. Uh, yesterday, how uh, we I didn't do any show prep, and mm-hmm. um, I was doing it as kind of an experiment. And I'll be honest with you, I thought the show went pretty well. I did too. I thought it was fun, but I got a lot of emails that said show prep helps. <laughs> so that was hurtful. <laughs> oh, I have one last question for you that I I forgot um, that I f- I forgot to uh, to ask you. Do you can can you just hang with me for one more? Sure. Second? Um, dang it! This was going to be my uh, this was going to be in my list of questions. Is this? Uh oh! Hold on. Let me turn down the fascinating music here for a second. <laughs> How do I? Okay, I got this. I got this. I got this. Is this? Jen, is this the most annoying song you have ever heard? Oh, that's so horrible. That is... Salvation yes, Army Bells. I've ever heard. Salvation Army Bells, a fan running, and the Paul McCartney <laughs> song, Wonderful Christmas Time, put together by our friend Bruce and Lake Stevens. Oh, that's horrible. That really, that is how, if I am ever captured, I can be tortured. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Christmas time. If they play that at Guantanamo, everyone would admit to everything. Yep. <laughs> I'm ready to admit to some stuff. I can't believe how many people, uh, by the way, Flash, uh, how many people agree with you on that song. I got a lot of emails from people saying they totally and completely are in your world on that. Yeah, I think I I have to say, I think it's one of those really hyper repetitive songs that about halfway through December, you just hate it. Hmm. Um. Well, I'm also happy that you feel comfortable going out, going out and saying you don't like something like that because usually that's my job. Usually, <laughs> I'm the one who's here to hurt feelings. Um, but uh, but I'm 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 glad that uh, because this is part of the new gen. This is part of the gen who's as the uh, book that my mom loaned uh, Addie says, "Don't sweat the small stuff." Parenthetically, it's all small stuff. That's so funny because one of the I was trying to think of like what questions you were going to ask me. Yeah. And be prepared for them. And one of them is I thought you were going to ask me, like, if I had a life motto. Do you have a and life motto? I often say my life motto is I did sweat the small stuff and it was a big deal. <laughs> I always you think really that kind of issue with that book. <laughs> yeah, that book particularly <laughs> bugs me. <laughs> um, I feel like that book, that title should invalidate people or at least cause people to not buy the book. Because, first of all, that's the entirety of the advice. Don't sweat the small right. stuff. It's all small stuff. Including like buying the book, like oh, should I buy the book? Oh, small stuff, not doing it. <laughs> it just like makes everything that happens after that sentence not matter. Yeah, because I mean, because that's stuff. yeah, you've got it, and then once you've got it, you don't need the book. So yeah. anyway, um, well, uh, Jen, this has been fascinating today. I really appreciate it. Again, I don't know if anyone's still listening, but um, but I've I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed the heck out of it. So thanks uh, thanks for doing it, and thanks you know always for all of your awesome awesomeness. Thank you very much. I found the whole thing to be quite fascinating also. And I have a feeling lots of people were listening. Well, but that well. might just be because I think we're so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's going to uh, do it here on this Friday. Uh, we'll be back here Monday, of course, at High Deuce. Uh, until then, everybody have a great weekend. And as we like to say on this program, no mountain too tall. 
and good luck to all. Yes, indeed. All right, so how happy will you be if we never hear the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire music again? <laughs> why? Why did he? I don't think he said why. I, I re-listened to the first part too, and I don't think he said why he chose that music. Well, obviously because it's a uh, it's uh, music that highlights uh, interesting people or uh, put puts them in the hot seat, I guess. It, it's it's so weirdly tense, though, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's for, for too suspenseful for such an interview. <laughs> Um, I didn't have that window open, but I think part of the point was to, to sort of put on that that pressure, that uh, to to hit the hard hitting questions. She's in the hot seat, right? So, boy, did it work because right out of the gate, he asks her how much wine she drinks and if she's okay with that. I'm glad his interviewing skills have improved since then. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, do you have thoughts about him kicking off with that? I think it's just funny because we know Luke and Jen. I don't think there was any malice implied. I remember thinking, oh, I really want to hear what she says to this question, you know? Um, and and uh, I just thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that she, she made, made it a point to say this, this isn't negatively affecting my life. This only enriches my life. And you don't hear people talk about alcohol that way a lot of the time. It's either a problem or it's just nothing. Right. Uh, so yeah, I thought she handled that gracefully, and I mm-hmm. don't think she has a problem. I just thought it was funny that that's where Luke yeah. right out of the gate. Well, and it might that might say more about him. A little then. bit of protection, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. He, he even says he's always trying to measure himself and, and think about that. Is he, is he doing it too much? Which I... I think the answer is probably yes at that point anyway in his life. Well, I mean, if we see Luke projecting, then that makes sense because he starts with a question about booze, then a question about karaoke, and then a question about working out. (laughs) Yep. You know, what's interesting is Jen, in in my recollection, never pressed him or asked him about his drinking habits, but she she got really on him about salt, his salt intake. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Um, so ladies, um, I don't work out very often, but I don't have a good excuse. It takes me about two minutes to wash my hair. Um, uh, can you help me understand Jen's not wanting to mess up her hair that she washes twice a week? I totally get this. Me too. Um, I, I have crazy curly hair. Um, and if I spend the time, cause it's not just washing it, Bobby washing, it's no big deal. It's the drying it and straightening it and arranging it and making it tame. Uh, that takes a long time depending on the kind of hair that you have. And if I'm spending that time, I don't work out for a good, like three days. And I like to exercise. I go, I try to go almost every day. And so the sacrifice I make is I just have terrible hair most of the time. <laughs> I believe I've only seen you on your A-game, Meredith, so yeah. I would never know. I'll just put it up in a ponytail if I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, I am I do consider, like, um, especially with swimming, like, I love to swim laps, and I would swim every day, except that I can't deal with my hair every day. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I'm embarrassed to say that for about 20 years, I didn't swim, swim laps for fear of what the chlorine would do to my hair and stuff. And then last summer, I finally said, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm, I'm going back to the pool. They make shampoos for this. 
but um, I still, I still can't, I can't deal with it every day. It's too much of a hassle. Well, I'm lucky in that I don't have to, you know, get dressed and go to work. I don't have to look presentable to anyone other than the checker at the grocery store. And I don't care about that. So I have the kind of life where I can make that choice. Um, I think if I had to go to a job and look nice, uh, I would exercise a lot less. <laughs> now, you, you said you did yoga almost every day, right? Uh-huh. Your, yeah. yeah. And oh. it's hot yoga. So it's it makes your hair. I mean, there's no saving your hair after that. You have to start over from scratch <laughs> after that kind of class. Well, oh my it's, God. it's hot yoga because it's in Texas. It's not hot yoga because they want it to be. <laughs> yeah, they just open the window. Sometimes it's cooler in there than it is outside. You must be on a natural high all the time if you're doing hot yoga every day. That's really awesome. It's, it feels really nice. I like the, I like the after effects and, um, I, I'm the kind of person who has a hard time calming my brain down. And so it's taught me a lot about how to, how to kind of relax and focus. It helps everything. It's awesome. Can I make a couple of, um, unrelated, semi-related points before we go on? Uh, the first is that I think an air assault vehicle of some kind just flew over the house. So anyone who heard that, I feel like I'm having a very (laughs) Luke, Andrew, LA, I didn't moment. hear anything. Okay. Well, a helicopter sounded like it was about to land on our on the roof here. So there's that. And then one other note I wanted to make, um, just because it's timely this week, uh, Luke and Andrew have been talking about Painter Bald Spot. I think it was just this week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there was a crack about Mike uh, and balding. And I just want to correct them now because Mike is very sensitive about this. I have also made fun of Mike for balding, but he is not at all. Mike has a full head of terrible hair. So, <laughs> Those are his words, not yes. Bobby's. <laughs> <laughs> and so if, if Mike had been on the show today, he also couldn't have helped me with this workout, post-workout hair conversation. But I just wanted to make it clear, since we're talking about hair, no one thinks Mike is balding. Nope. All right. Thanks for clearing that up, Bobby. <laughs> I'm sure he does eat things that are white, though. <laughs> then how old. did he lose all that weight? That's a good point. We should all just go on the mic. I mean, minus the leg part, but just in general, the rest of Mike has lost a lot of weight. Right. Yeah. He's, he's actually inspiring me. I want to get off 20 more pounds and he's, he's inspiring. Yeah. (laughs) We'll have to get his tips. I'm pretty sure just not having an appetite for about a year is what. Yeah. That'll do it. Yeah. Oh, Jen, Jen sounds like she can be really disciplined when she wants to be with her diet. Um, She talked about not having anything white. Like no sugar, no flour, no rice, no salt, which I wouldn't be able to handle that. No butter yeah. and no cream. So those are her rules. And she managed to lose 10 pounds that way. And the other way was, was it sounded like rather severe calorie restriction, but it, depending on your height um, for a woman, that can be okay. Um, I think pretty tall. <laughs> I know. I know. And I think when I met her, I think I might just be like an inch or two taller than her. And that would, I would die if I only had a thousand calories a day. I think 1200 is the lowest I can go. Uh, but yeah, she had real serious math about the number of calories that equals a pound and, mm-hmm. and, and that worked for her. And I mean, yeah. there's some, there's some serious logic there. Of course that would work, but uh, it sounds like a pretty miserable life. Although she did say that they'll eat whatever they want when they're out and they're just disciplined and miserable when they're at home. And right. that's the way that when I've periodically wanted to lose a little weight and diet it. That's the way I've done it. You know, if I'm out with people, whatever, but when I'm home, it's all raw vegetables. Yeah. Sounds like she didn't cut wine out though. So good for her. Uh, Tim Ferriss says that's okay. 
Uh, right, that's true. He's got true. a whole caveat for red wine and his mm-hmm. uh, ridiculous diet. Right. Uh, and then we go to, um, we all wrote this a little bit differently. I wrote uh, hyper feelings and you wrote super feeler Jen. Oh man, I could so relate to that. Um, I'm definitely a super feeler too. And actually there's this term highly sensitive person. There's a whole ser- series of books and a documentary and it's like been studied and everything. And it's like one out of five people and animals. And I'm sure like Meredith, among all your animals, have you noticed that there's an occasional one that's like wired more sensitive than the other ones? Oh yeah, definitely. It's definitely a real thing. And when I first found those books back in the 90s, it was like such a, it really helped me understand myself. And and now, and so when Jen would talk about it, it's like, I could just so relate to her. Yeah, that she just has kind of her empathy is cranked up to 11 and, and she kind of sometimes wishes she could turn it down. Yeah, my whole challenge is containing it. You know, I don't have a problem feeling empathy. It's just like managing it so I can mm-hmm. move through the world. Yeah, that's got to be a really tough feeling for someone who was working in radio production. I mean, at this point, it's the podcast, and so the audience is a little more self-selected. But I can only imagine in their radio days where you're just going to get a, a certain minimum number of jerk-offs sending angry things. Yeah. Conservative radio listeners and absolute horrible people just sounding off about everything. Uh, I used a terrible word just there, but I think I meant it. Based on the average Cairo listener. <laughs> Those are the kind of hate mails we tend to hear about from them. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then to be someone who's extra sensitive to all of that. I mean, you've got right. to have a really thick skin to deal with those kind of jobs. Yeah, it sounds like the thing that hurt her the most was when the tens that she cared for would drift away. That's what, you know, the, the uh, if a disconnection or if she perceived there was a disconnection, that was the hardest thing for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because as a longtime listener, I think all of us think about uh, whether or not we get an email back from Luke. Uh, thanks for bragging, Michelle. <laughs> and um, the the feedback we get, but I, I don't think I've ever stopped and thought, oh, what what would Luke and Andrew and Jen think if we stopped sending stuff in? You know, we just don't think that we're such a big player in their side. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that she's conscious of that and, and that happened just this weekend too, just in general, you know, I was in New York for the New York live wire taping on Saturday and some of us went out for drinks after and Luke, after walking in the wrong direction and walking all the way to the Hudson river, turned around and finally came back and found the bar. Um, (laughs) uh, he came in and, and he did exactly what he does every time I've seen him in person, which is that he remembers people's names and more about them than those people ever think he's going to remember. Hmm. And it's one of these moments where you realize it's a two-way street and that he actually cares, mm-hmm. even when he's bad about email. Um, it, it, it's a really reminder that they're just people, too, Luke and Jen and Andrew, and uh, that, yeah. that we matter to them, too. I try to send Andrew an attaboy email every you know, a few months or so, like when he's on a roll and he, I think he really, I mean, I know they really care. And I, I know who doesn't want to be validated, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he's on fire, man. I mean, ever since they went to Infinite Guest, I mean, what a renaissance of the show. Like, it's been wonderful. And Andrew's so happy, and I love hearing him laugh so much, and it's great. Yeah, I agree. It's not the show it was. It's just not the same as it was eight years ago. But both of the shows, then and now, both are great in their ways, and uh, they really have turned it into something. Uh, Yeah. 
I don't know that it's the same. How do I transition into this? I was going to ask you guys what your favorite moments are based on Jen's answer to where her sort of happy place favorite moment is. But her answer was so good. I don't know about the coming back from church part, but um, the mimosa Sunday morning watching CBS Sunday morning (laughs) (laughs) might have been a near perfect answer. I think I could get on board with that. Yeah. Well, I think, sorry, Meredith, go ahead. You go ahead. Um, I really, I like to cook a lot and, and so does Duff. And I think this doesn't happen too often anymore uh, because he works so much, but when, when he is home for dinner and we are cooking together, I think that's probably my favorite part of the day. And that may, that happens maybe once or twice a month. So it's pretty rare, but it is really, really fun. Michelle, do you have a favorite, not, not a special occasion favorite moment, but like a, a little moment of the week kind of favorite moment? Hmm, a moment of the week. I had a more broad thing I was going to share to see, but a moment of the week. No, that's okay. Um, Go broad. Well, my my happy place, my literal happy place um, is um, in the Mohonk Preserve um, near where I live, about 20 minute drive. There's this gorgeous place called Split Rock. And it's very pristine and it's all mosses and mountain laurels and hemlock trees and cascading water and swim. And and there's a section of it where you can be clothing optional. And it's like paradise down there. And that's that's my happy place. So because I'm a freelancer, I do my writing and editing. Like I try to cram in as much as I can in the um, winter and spring so that I can hang out at Split Rock a whole lot in the summer. And it's kind of like being a kid again you know so that sounds amazing it is amazing. amazing it is amazing and there's this lovely community of people and it's not cruisy it's just it just is like being at camp you know for adults mm-hmm. or something it's great <laughs> yeah i mean big picture like that similarly um if you put me in front of a campfire somewhere a little bit cold in the autumn probably up the adirondack somewhere actually as long as we're living in central and upstate new york um that would be ideal. But I think week to week, very similarly, actually, um, Sunday morning, it's actually my favorite time of the week because there's usually not much going on other than us recording LRB, which is fine, Mm -hmm. but maybe right after that. So maybe midday on Sunday, it's either football or an adventure or, or nothing on the books and, and getting to just embrace that and enjoy it and have a cup of coffee and have breakfast with Sam and, um, that's really it for me. That's the simple choice. The other six days of the week always seem to be so crazy for us for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but that moment. And actually, we also watch a lot of CBS Sunday Morning in this house. And that's probably a great plug for our friends over at the Sunday Morning Experience podcast. Yes. Because even on the weeks I miss CBS Sunday Morning, I still listen to their podcast. And I feel like I I got a little taste of it. And that makes me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, if you aren't listening to that, but you're a CBS Sunday Morning fan, go check them out. Mm-hmm. All right. What else did we get here? We got a Bing commercial. <laughs> 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 oh, God. They tried so hard to sound sincere during those Bing commercials. I know. Um, and um, I don't want to pass up on uh, Luke asking Jen how successful she thought TBTL would be. And her saying that she thought the show would be canceled in six months. I know. She wasn't that far off. No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) But the fact that it has continued and still continues is still kind of amazing to me. 
and probably on its most solid footing in ever. Yeah. 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 Um, I took a really important message away from this, though, which is that despite the fact that Jen thought it would fail almost immediately, she still felt like it was worth doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the show's name is not an accident. Right. Um, But I think that says a lot about her, that she had an idea and wanted to see it come to fruition. And even though she knew it was probably not likely to be successful, she just wanted to see it through. And that really... That embodies Jen more than anything else I can think, which is just the dedication to this this ideal. Well, and she also talks about a little bit later about how she's realized that doing creative things makes her happy. And I'm sure that was a huge part of this. Yeah. is It, it just it was more for, for her, for her creative outlet than anything else. Yeah. Mm. Uh, she doesn't let that hold her back either. There's always another job or another opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, so she might as well do it now. Um, I, did did you all relate at all to, um, you know, like back when I was in grad school, I thought I was supposed to be as ambitious as my graduate advisor. And I would often feel like this big chasm between her and I, like where I was and where she was. And, and I remember going into therapy and my therapist was like, why do you think you have to be where she is? You know, and, and so, and as I've gotten older, I'm like Jen said, I feel less ambitious. Like I, I love my work, but I, I like to have a lot of other things in my life. Do you guys relate to that? I definitely relate to the low pressure thing that she was talking about. I, I thought I wanted to be a doctor when I was a kid for, for most of my life, actually, before I uh, did a job shadow my senior year of college and realized I hated it. <laughs> I was very in- intent on going to medical school, and I'm so glad that I didn't do that. Um, I still work for a hospital, and I still I still really enjoy medicine and healthcare, um, but I just work uh, on the research side of things now, which I really, really enjoy. I never thought my life would turn out the way that it is. And actually working from home, I find myself in more of a supportive role for my husband, which is something I absolutely never thought I would be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, va- I value being able to take care of myself and I still can. I just, I never thought I would be, I'm kind of a stay at home wife with a job yeah, or a, a career. I do have a very good career. I'm very happy and challenged in my job, but I spend a lot of time worrying about his day-to-day stuff. And um, honestly, that doesn't, depress me as much as I thought it would. It doesn't depress me at all. I, I enjoy it. I kind of like it's there's a lot of puttering to it. Um, and uh, I still have my intellectual curiosity with my job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nice balance, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I also work from home a lot. I wouldn't say that I support Sam's career necessarily. Um, but um, we're quite a team with sort of the rhythm that we've hit because there are a lot of things. Meredith, you probably think this too. How do people get stuff done if two people both work nine to I five? Like there's just know. stuff around the house that needs to happen during the day. And Well, and we used to do this. I used to go into the office when we lived in Detroit. We both did. Um, but his schedule was less demanding when we first got married. Uh, we both kind of worked regular hours. But still, you know, when there's a plumber who needs to come, they don't come right. at 7 p.m. when you're both home. They have to come in the middle of the day and you have to spend the whole day waiting for them. And uh, I don't think we would have the life that we have if if uh, if I didn't work from home. We wouldn't certainly wouldn't have Eddie. That's for sure. Yeah, it just Please. really yeah it relieves so much stress when you have somebody who can, you know. And and now we're going through this interest because I work from home too. We all have that in common. And and then but one challenge that's coming up is that my husband retired in January. Um, he's a little bit older than I am, and um, so I still am cooking, cleaning, and working at home. And he's the full time man of leisure. 
Mm. And there's some renegotiating that's taking place, but yeah. you know, he kind of he's um he's just not a detail guy, so I've always handled all the details. Um, so we're kind of, and it's just, it's still a little bit rocky sometimes this transition, but, but also him not going to work now, it's relieved a lot of stress too, you know, um, it's kind of a, a new chapter for us and he's really happy. So the household is more happy and Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I have anything more to add to that. (laughs) Um, did you guys know that um, when, when she, I just remember I was in the kitchen cooking. I remember this moment so distinctly when Jen said that she and Jason had tried to have kids, either their own or adopting. And I was totally surprised. I had no idea. Did you guys know that? I think I picked that up. I think I remember hearing this episode and I think I picked that up then. But she that was certainly nothing she had talked about a whole lot before. Right. I'm not at all surprised. Because um, there's a lot about Jen and Jen and Jason's relationship that's still very traditional. Um, And, you know, that's even just like them going to church every Sunday before their CBS Mm -hmm. Sunday morning mimosa tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, And them wanting sort of that traditional nuclear family experience doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Um, Jen, in in a lot of ways, is also very motherly in general to TL and to the listeners and to to Luke. (laughs) Um, And um, the, you know, I never really extrapolated, well, they don't have any kids. Why don't they have any kids? I guess it doesn't surprise me that they tried. Um, But that was, um, that's, that's a tougher. I know some other close friends who've gone through the same process and if it's something that you feel your entire life that you've been getting ready for and then you can't do it for whatever reason, that is devastating. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad that she's worked through that and found satisfaction elsewhere. Um, I I never had that pressure. Uh, not being a woman has something to do with it, I'm sure. But also just, you know, Sam and I don't have that pressure. We don't have this deep urge to have kids. Meredith and I have talked about this on the show before, being two people who end up talking about parenting fairly often on the show who don't have kids. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, for some I, people I, I know that's a real, that's a real deep seated native want. Yeah. My heart broke for her a little bit when she was talking about that, but she didn't seem acutely hurt by it at that time. Cause you know, I have friends who've gone through this and they can barely talk about it without crying. Yeah. Hmm. So she's worked through it, which I, I'm sure it still hurts, but it sounds like she's really worked through it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have kids either. Um, but I have, uh, grandkids through my husband's daughter um and and that's a trip they're like three and four and a half but I I never I never um really wanted it I was too intimidated by the uh 24-7 nature of parenthood you know um and it was the right decision for me but I guess I just had assumed since Jen didn't talk about it that I thought well maybe she and Jason just like that was a choice but so anyway it was I thought that was so touching that she would share that Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, shit got real. Yeah. <laughs> in this interview. <laughs> she really did. And and she really um, further cemented my love for her when she talked about, after she had been through that experience, when people would write to her about painful things, that she would say to them, I'm so sorry, that sucks. Like, that's, that's great advice, you know? Um, 
instead of saying, oh, maybe there's a reason for it or whatever. I just like how she let people have their feelings and just said, that sucks. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And when you're when you're going through something and you reach out, you, you often aren't looking for a solution. You just want somebody to validate your feelings and, and having somebody say, I'm so sorry, that sucks is exactly what you need at, at certain points. Once again, with the empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the upshot, this episode ends with a mashup of awful <laughs> terribleness from Bruce and Lake Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to end this touching interview <laughs> with three sounds that she hates so, so much. Yeah, so let me get this right. It was, it was a wonderful Christmas time uh-huh. and the Salvation Army bell. And what was the third one? Oh, a fan? Fan. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's got that mischievous little brother thing with her, you know? Or... Yes. <laughs> oh, that cracked me up. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was terrible. She's right. He's right. That is a bad song. I never realized how much I hated it until she started talking about how awful it's like, yeah, you're right. Um, before we wrap up, um, that was a bad song, but I want to talk about a, a good song. Michelle, you mentioned in your uh, submission to us, and we talked about it before we taped, that in addition to this clip, um, there is a song that TBTL used to use a lot as bumper music in the radio days that you have kind of a, you went on quite of a quest to find out what song it was. <laughs> And you finally yeah. found out. So if you tell us a little bit about this song that means uh, you, it has meaning for you. Yeah, like Luke, you know, recently he was talking about how he said he gets hooked on certain instrumental sections of songs and he wants to play just that section over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's what this does for me. Um, I finally learned what it was this summer. But going back to 2008, um, I was working. And when this bump came on, it's the introduction. To, it's the beginning part of the um go team song lady flash but i they never of course said what it was but it would be on loop and and i'd be working and whenever it came on i just had to stop whatever i was doing i just found it like the music just so beautiful and transporting and just like i just had never heard anything like it and so um i went on their tbtl site and i don't know if you guys remember but they used to have like a little library of the songs that they had drawn from and I listened to every single one and I still couldn't figure uh-huh. out. And it must be because that song Lady Flash, it samples and it changes keys and it goes in different directions. And it, it must be that the sample they had online was just nothing like the intro. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, so I wrote to them and asked like more than once and I, I didn't get a response back. And so I just kind of let it go. And then when LRB started, I posted on Facebook, does anybody know what this what this is where this comes from and I because I had heard it in a clip that, that you guys played and I didn't know I didn't hear from anybody so it's just I guess I guess I'm just not meant to know and then this summer um Luke um plays this Nancy Sinatra song called Down from Dover I don't know if you guys remember that but it has this beautiful instrumental sleepy instrumental part at the beginning and I was like and then he referred to that the go team sampled it and I was like, that's it, that's it, that's it. So finally I know what it is and I can listen to it at the gym now. It's awesome. <laughs> eight years. It took eight and a half years. Wow. <laughs> so uh, thank, thanks for indulging me that. that um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, rather than put it under us now and get a uh, an interrupted uh, 
playing of the song. Uh, we're going to use it as the outro music on today's show. So instead of the usual doves that we play almost always, uh, the old TBTL outro music, we're going to play uh, the Go Team. Uh, we'll do this track in its entirety, Lady Flash, after this episode. So if you want to hear what we're talking about, just listen through to the end and you'll get your chance. Aw, thanks, guys. Uh, and with that, we'll do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, on the archive, I'm going to keep this really short. Uh, Christy is the uh, authority on this. As she's been saying, um, we're never going to be caught up because they're going to keep making TBTLs, but we're getting closer to caught up. And if you want to help us by archiving current shows, you're already listening. Something to keep in mind. Email us, littlewebbandwagon.gmail.com. Let Christy know you want to help. Uh, stickers still available, as always, on our website, littlewebbandwagon.com. And remember, littleredbandwagon.com slash Amazon for all of your two-day shopping, online shipping needs from Amazon. You pay the same price you normally pay, but Amazon kicks us a few tenths of a penny on your purchase. Uh, because apparently, the only way people find out about Amazon.com is if we refer them. <laughs> <laughs> I never would have heard about it if it weren't for LRB. Yeah. Uh, Meredith, how do we get involved with the show? If you want to get involved with the show, do what Michelle did and go to littleredbandwagon.com. You can go down the right side of the page. There is a button that says LRB, our guest, and you can fill that out and be on the show. Uh, you can visit us on Facebook, the Stens page or our page. Our Twitter is at LRB podcast. You can email us at littleredbandwagon at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 802-432-TBTL. That's 802-432-8285. All right. Uh, and with that, um, Meredith, did you get us out of here? Until next time, this is the next party. And if there was ever an episode to say it, we love you, Jen. <laughs> Nailed it.